0: We took the summer to go through some Proverbs, but man, we've been a year in Acts and we're only in chapter 19. Last week, we had a little bit of a different service, you might remember. We spent a lot of, time of, our, a lot of our time praying together, and we saw when God is moving some things that happen. We saw very clearly that there's confession of sin. We saw there's repentance. We saw that God's word grows mightily. We saw miracles are done in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit at work in Ephesus. And we prayed for those things, you might be remember We confess sin, our own sin, the sin of our country, of our community. We beg God to work We prayed for holiness, that we would walk his way and not our way. It was a good, good service to call out to the Lord. But now here in Ephesus, as God is moving, and I'm not going to speak much about it, I have in the past six months, but opposition comes. And whenever God's moving, you can be sure there'll be opposition. Things will get a little difficult. Relationships might get a little tougher. People might get upset at you. Persecution might come from the world or even within in the church. And there's a riot in Ephesus after all these wonderful things and God is doing. They get upset because those who made idols, the problem was people weren't buying them anymore. And so their industry was dying. And could you imagine in our own community if God and his Holy Spirit worked so much that those institutions where people sin in would have to go out of business? Wouldn't that be incredible? That was happening in Ephesus, but those idol makers didn't go down with a fight, and they dragged some of the Christians in. They got the city in an uproar. Paul wanted to go speak to him, but his friends would not allow him, and things eventually calmed down. It says in chapter 20, when the uproar ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed. So now Paul is on the road. He's moving on, not necessarily because he's forced. He's feeling that the Holy Spirit is pushing him to move on. He moves on into Greece and he stays there for three months. It names some of the people who are with him, some who stayed. He goes to Troas, and I'm not going to spend much time here either, but they met at the first day of the week. So we know they're celebrating Jesus, they're partaking, breaking bread together. And if you think I preach a long time, Paul preached all night. You ready to go today? Five or six? All night I'm talking. Like they ate dinner and he started. And so don't be, offend, don't be upset if you fall asleep either, because <laughs> we know that happened. Eutychus was sitting in a window, and Paul was going all night, but it said a deep sleep came upon him. He fell out of the window, and he died. So maybe today, <laughs> I hope not, <laughs> I'll take the hint if that happens, and we'll send the ushers to pray for you, and hopefully you'll be revived anyways. Paul does pray for him. He comes back to to life. The people are just absolutely astonished. They continue to daybreak, and then they departed. And guess what? Then they went to work. It's not like they went home to sleep. Then they went to work. Can you imagine how hungry they were for the truth of God's word? Unfortunately, sometimes we are falling asleep in church, and it's not a physical sleep, it's a spiritual sleep. And God wants to wake us up, including myself, not just to do this for a routine, not just because it's Sunday. Could you imagine being so hungry that you would just, just so hungry to hear that you would stay up all night? Anyways, Paul moves on from there. He goes to Miletus And he's moving through, and he passes just a little bit, kind of on the edge of Ephesus. And something very interesting happens. He doesn't go back to Ephesus. He's been gone for some months now. But what he does do is he calls for the elders of the church of Ephesus, or the leaders, and he wants to speak to them. So he says in verse 17, he calls them, and he was far from them a little ways it would take them a little bit of a journey to to get to him and in verse 18 it says they came to him and he has a little bit of a talk for them and he makes it clear in the section from verse 17 through the end of 38 and I'm not going to read it all but there are definitely some parts that are very very interesting but what he says to them is I basically am never going to see you again he says there's trials awaiting me At the end of this discussion, they hug, they cry. This is it. These are his parting words to this successful church. These are his words to them. We know actually he will write a letter later when Timothy is the pastor there. And he will, not Paul, but the Holy Spirit will address them in Revelation chapter 2 also with a letter. But these are some important things that Paul has to say and maybe some things we can glean from this morning. First of all, he talks about how he lived among them in verse 18. From the first day he came to them in Asia. And he said, You know what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. You know, Paul was an incredible, an incredible character. Could you imagine they're waiting for me in Smith Falls? Dan, they want you to go preach in Smith Falls. The Holy Spirit's taking you to Smith Falls. When, and Paul's saying, yeah, and guess what awaits me? Probably going to get stoned. Probably going to get whipped. I know people are going to insult me. People are going to hate me. But I don't care. That's what he says. I don't care because I don't count my life dear to myself. I don't know about you, but that hits me in the forehead. If I go to a meeting where I know people are upset at me, I'm like, I don't want to go. Or if I go just even like the holidays and you know you're going to face a little persecution, what's your heart? Oh, I can't wait. No. It's difficult, And not that it wasn't difficult for Paul, but he made this decision up. He said, listen, I know my course. I know my race. And it's not flowers and rainbows and lollipops. It's hard. And sometimes when we come into this Christian walk, we think God's going to take away all our problems and there's going to be no persecution and it's going to be a piece of cake. God never said that. He said it would be hard. He said it would be difficult, but he says something here we can learn from. I don't count my life dear to myself. And just like Jesus, he says, I want to finish my race with joy. How in the world did he get an attitude like that? He tells us a little bit about his message, and it's all about teaching people about repentance turning to God, trusting in Jesus Christ. And today, for you and me, I don't think our message should be any different. We should be calling people to repent and calling them to to the love of Jesus Christ. He moves on in verse 26, and he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. What an amazing statement. Has there ever been people where you wish you would have said something? You had encounters and you felt the Holy Spirit kind of nudge you like, say something. Have you ever had family members where you thought, oh, I wish I should have said something or just neighbors or something. Here's Paul saying, listen, whenever the Holy Spirit nudged me, I spoke it. And I didn't sugarcoat it, and I told them the truth. And I told them all of God's word. I didn't tell them the juicy, nice parts. I didn't tell them the blessing parts only. I told them all of God's word. I didn't leave anything out. I gave them all of the Bible. Some of you might wonder, you know, why do you teach through the Bible? Like, why are we going through the whole book of Acts? Why do we go through the New Testament? Why have you gone through the Old Testament? It's pretty amazing. I think this is year 11, but I think with all high school Bible studies and all midweek Bible studies and all Sunday morning Bible studies, we have touched on the whole word of God, Genesis through Revelation. And Revelation twice! Because it was so confusing, and I still haven't figured it out. But why do we do that? Because we don't want to take the parts we like and leave out the hard parts. Amen. Because there are some things that are difficult in this book, but they are very, very necessary. And that's why we take what Paul said here as our ambition not to leave out anything, but to declare the whole counsel of God. To speak of repentance, to speak of sin, but to speak of forgiveness, to speak of grace, to speak of love. He says then in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Remember he's speaking to all sorts of leaders. He says watch watch yourself first and that's really important we're going to talk about in a minute. He says watch yourself first and then be careful to watch over the flock. To guard the flock, to feed the flock. What does a shepherd do? It directs the flock, it guards the flock, it feeds the flock. And that's what Paul was asking them to do. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You see if you're any form of a leader in capacity with other Christians or even in your own family as moms and dads, this call rings true to us that Jesus Christ died for our family and for those that we've put into any sort of leadership over, and we have a responsibility to shepherd them. And I see this as parents. You say, well, I'm not a leader at church. I think everyone is a leader to some capacity. And again, I repeat, especially mums and dads. And our job isn't to beat the sheep, it's to feed the sheep. It's to lead the sheep, to guide the sheep, not to hammer the sheep. I have two dogs, and there's one thing I know. If I have food, they come to me. If I'm angry, they run. I don't know if you know that. And as we feed and show people truth and who Jesus is, they will come to us. And then they will feed and be healthy. And healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Healthy people produce healthy people. Unhealthy people produce unhealthy people. And here, what it's saying is give them all of God's word. Show them all truth. Don't hold your life dear to yourself. Shepherd who God's put you over. Parents and other people and leaders, understanding what God has done, and feed them, and guard them, and take care of them. But first, remember in verse 28 take heed to yourselves, be careful. Be careful in your own walk with the Lord. He says this in verse 29, For I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Sometimes it's not just a big party by the fire singing kumbaya. Sometimes it gets hard. And sometimes Satan tries to attack. And sometimes even from within, there are challenges. In with families, in with churches. And that's why we're called to be a part of churches. Because we need people with us, over us, together, working. But if we freelance and go everywhere, we have no accountability. Right? Right? And here we have to be careful because if you think that challenges won't come, false doctrine won't come, perverse lies or people won't come, even from within your midst who don't speak truth, that's not true. It will happen. And that's why we need each other. Amen? That's why we need each other. Therefore, watch... Verse 31, remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Have you done that? You know what that feels like? Please don't go that way. Please don't go that way. Or asking the hard questions you don't want to ask of someone. But that is what Paul did in tears, warning them, be careful, the culture is moving and people are changing. Be careful. Here's what God's Word says. Savage wolves will come. It's not an if, my friends. It's a when. Do you know that? And again, they're not all non-Christians. Even from within our midst, the Word of God says. Oh, do we need the help of Jesus? So now, brethren, verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He goes on to say, I didn't covet your money. I didn't serve you for your money. You yourselves know I worked with my own hands and provided for my necessities. Therefore, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that he would see... They would see his face no more and they accompanied him to the ship. Isn't that a great line coming into Christmas? It's more blessed to give than receive. I was just saying that to Amy. Don't you have way more joy in giving? Like it's not even close. It's not even close the joy when you see someone open something that you spent time and gave to them. I do just want to bear down in the last 10 minutes on this one verse where he says, Brethren, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, that you would be built up. What gave Paul this amazing commitment to have joy in the midst of tribulation, day and night to cry over those he loved? to warn them, to love them, to be persecuted and tortured and whipped. What gave him that kind of commitment? And I will tell you very clear, he knew the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the things in this passage, I think this is the most important. I commend you to God. I give you to God and to the word of his grace. What is grace? What is God's grace? Why is this so much Paul's message up in verse 24? He said, I have to finish my course, and it is to give you the gospel of the grace of God. What is this? Is this something we do that we pray before meals? What is this grace? Is it a word? Is it like this Christian word? Grace is the favor of God. It's undeserved favor. It's his love for you. And if you're going to be given to anything, it is to God's grace. If you're to be built up in anything, it is not rules or regulation or going to church or where you go to church. It is the grace of God. And you know, God displayed his grace to us by sending Jesus Titus chapter 3 makes it very clear that His grace has appeared to all of us. That is Jesus. That is what we're celebrating in the next week. It is God's grace because when Jesus came, He loved you. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to forgive you and he looks at you today no matter what your week was, no matter what your month was, no matter what your life is and he says, I love you and I forgive you and I don't care where you're at and I want you to be built up in me and not yourself. Hey listen, you want something? That's it. You come in needing something today? I need to be built up in church. I need to be built up. I'm being hit down. I'm being broken. I'm alone. And God says, no. Be built on my love, my grace for you. It's interesting... What was he warning them? What were these savage wolves coming in? And we think, oh, maybe they're telling them that they're, oh, it's okay to sin and maybe that's the false doctrine. Do you know what I think most of the time in the New Testament, the false doctrine is a doctrine that takes you away from the grace of Jesus Christ. Read the book of Galatians. Look at Ephesians. It's all about your position in Christ, who you are in Christ. It's all about God's grace. Look at Colossians. They're trying to be holy by cutting themselves and beating themselves. Galatians, they're trying to be holy by circumcision. Hebrews, they're trying to be holy by obeying the law. And Paul is always saying, and an unknown author in Hebrews, come back to Jesus. Be built on His grace and His love and His forgiveness. Why is it? That so easily we slip away from the truth of grace which builds us up. And people say, oh, Pastor Dan, you know what? You're, You're preaching grace and not action. That's why. This is cheap grace. There ain't no cheap grace, my friends, because it cost Jesus his life. But if you're going to tell me that you can earn His grace by doing something, I'm going to tell you that is heresy and that is a lie because He loves you from the womb and He cares for you and He died for you and there's nothing you can do to earn that love. You simply have to believe and submit to it and walk in it. But there's a problem that enters our lives. And it's a real problem in my life at times and it sneaks into the church. And it was sneaking into these churches and it infuriated Paul. He said, no, and every day I can see, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's all about His work. It's not about what you do. Why would he write it in so many books in the New Testament? And if you don't understand grace, you can never be holy. If you never understand your position in Christ, you never practically can become like Christ. And you could try and you can try, but you're gonna fall empty, be discouraged and depressed. And I can just see Paul warning them, warning them, stick with Jesus, stick with Jesus, stick with his love. In Hebrews, it's very interesting. He says, do not be carried away by strange doctrine. For it is good that the heart be established by grace. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. We can get pulled into strange doctrine and Paul in Hebrews is warning them, be built and established on my grace, my love. Not by days and seasons and rules, but by the love of Jesus Christ. Over and over again. It's interesting, within this year, as I look back, you know, you get to the end of the year and you look back, and, and some of the things I believe God continually showed me, and one of them very strongly is it's all about Jesus. But I've told you before, I had this vision of building, and I'm like, what is that building? it was in my garden. God, what are you building? And I felt him clearly say to me, I want you to build in grace. I want you to build on the foundation of my truth of grace. I want your family established in my love. I want this fellowship established in the truth of the love of Jesus Christ. Because what happens is the result will be Christ-like people who truly know what it means to rest and abide in Jesus Christ. Not to strive, not to do, not to be something they weren't called to be, but simply to rest and wait on the Lord. And in that, He will give you your strength. When you know you are loved and favored, you will do anything. When you don't know you're loved, you do stupid things to get loved you ever done that in a relationship did I really do that I must have loved them a lot I actually combed my hair establish yourselves in the love of God I find it very interesting as you look in the book of Revelation after he warns them and warns them and years pass by and he writes the letter in Ephesians, you read chapter 1, it's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about who Jesus is. It's all about being saved by grace through faith. It's all about grace. Whenever he's talking to the Ephesians, it's always about grace. You were saved by grace. You walk in grace. Your strength not to sin is in grace. It's not about you and your ability. It's not about and how you think should be done. It's about me and what I've done. And so these people are walking and they understand the truth so much. I don't know if they understand that truth completely because in Revelation chapter 2, what does he say to them? He says, I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. But nevertheless, I have this against you. What is it? You have lost your first love. You know what? That church in Ephesus knew the truth so much. They knew what was right. They knew who was wrong. But the problem is they were losing the sense of the love of God. And you cannot love God until you know His love. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 3, what does he say? Oh, I pray that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the length of God's love. Because as we know His grace and His love, we live different. But the problem is as we don't understand and sit into that place, we lose our first love. And maybe some of you like me quickly can lose your first love. It becomes about who's doing what and who's in my life and how it should be this way and why aren't they doing that and why am I not doing this and I should have done that and I could have done this better. And all of a sudden it's about ministry and works and effort and how I could have raised my kids better. Blah, 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 blah. But you know what it is? It's all losing my first love because I'm grounding myself in me and not in Him. And there's many of us who come to church and play church, and we don't know the love of God. You know what? Maybe there was a time that you were madly in love with God because you knew you were forgiven, you knew you were cared for and that grace just washed over you and you had a miserable life and you sensed his forgiveness and it was this love relationship and you couldn't believe it and you're like, "God, you're so amazing." And you'd witness to anybody and you'd talk to anyone about the love of God, but then it just becomes like doing things and I got to set up the chairs and I got to go help and I got to help my neighbor and I got to do this and I got to read my Bible and it becomes so much of a work that you lose your first love and today god is calling us back he's commending us to the word of grace because he wants you to be built up in him Amen. how is your love relationship with jesus has it become about things and people Has it becomes about structure of your family Or do you just want to be with him every day? Do you wake up saying, thank you, Jesus. I can't believe you love me. I can't believe you're so gracious, God. I can't believe that you forgave me. I can't believe that you want to empower me to live a holy life. I can't believe the greatest grace of all, that the favor, I'm going to heaven. Hello? (laughs) Hello? You want to see how wonderful that is? You're getting out of this trash can, folks. And you're going to be with him forever in paradise. And that's the ultimate favor. Oh, man. You know, I used to coach. And one of the big things you learn as a coach is to build your players up. Build them up, build them up, they'll do better. Build them up, build them up. Show them how to do it. Show them you care for them. Build them up, build them up. Isn't it amazing that we have a God who does that perfectly in our lives? He just builds you up. He says, I love you. I care for you. I'm with you. I forgive you. I want to give you all that I have so that you can accomplish all that you need. The little book of Jude before Revelation. It says, build yourself in your most holy faith. You ever heard that verse? Praying always in the Spirit. And then he has this amazing line. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? Praying in the Spirit. Keeping yourself in the love of God. Because you know what? You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs and this life is going to be up and around and backwards and forwards and sometimes all we have is the truth of his grace and his love and we need to fight to make that the priority in our lives and in this fellowship. Woo! Aren't you encouraged today? Come on, wake up! Because when you understand it, you're never the same. You've got to go back to it. And why do we read the Word of God every day? Why do we encourage you to read the Word of God? Why do we encourage you to pray? Because in those moments, you are encouraged to remember what God's Word says about you. And as you pray, He says, I love you. And sometimes love is a little spank on the bottom. And sometimes love is a little pat on the back. But His grace is always there. Amen? So build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying always in the spirit. And body of Christ here this morning, fellowshipping together, keep yourself in the love of God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Paul's talk to these leaders, my leaders, to give the truth of all of your word. Just a commitment not to keep our lives dear to ourselves. And this release or this challenge to be in the word of grace. Lord, there's no better way to look at your love than to look at Jesus Christ, the body and blood, just screams that you love us and care for us. It screams forgiveness. Jesus humbled himself to become a man that he would die on the cross, that you would be forgiven this morning. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you always thought he was about rules and he wants to punish you, but I want to tell you this morning, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Have you truly accepted him as Lord of your life? Have you repented and turned from your way of thinking? Have you turned to him? Repentance means turning, turning from the old to the new, turning to Jesus, to his love, to his grace. Have you done that this morning? That's done very simply, just in your heart, believing, with your mouth confessing that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again. accepting submitting to his love and to his grace maybe you're far from your first love Jesus Christ this morning maybe the busyness of ministry the busyness of work the busyness of family has taken you away from your first love And Jesus would say this morning, as he said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, repent and do the first works. Repent and just abide in my love. Repent and understand my love. Repent, turn from your works and come into my work. Is that you this morning? Just confess that sin and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I just want to live in you. I want to humble myself. I want to submit like the bride of Christ. I just want to submit and live in the love of Jesus, who is the head. Oh, what a good opportunity to respond in your heart. Just to search your heart. Not to do anything great, but just to rest in him, to rest in his body and his blood, to think of how much he loves you. Randy's going to sing, the elements are in the back. If you need to pray, there'll be brothers and sisters there. I encourage you, if you're a believer, celebrate what Jesus has done. Just rest in his love. Wait on him in this time. Clear your mind of everything else and just focus on Jesus.